I don't know where to begin. I, I, I pray that you had a very, very wonderful Christmas last week. Pray that God really blessed you and your family, your loved ones. And I pray that this coming year, the year 2012, that you will have the most wonderful and happiest of new years and that God will bless you. Well, let me tell you up front, this isn't the easiest of message to give. Um, yet it is perhaps the most encouraging. And, and I, it's, it's paradoxical in a sense that I think it's a perfect message for this time of the year. It's a, it has amazed me how the Lord allowed us to be last week, just before Christmas, to be in, in the 14th chapter of the book of Revelation, but of all places in the 6th and the 7th verses that talked about an angel uh, that was flying in mid-heaven and that was preaching uh, uh, an eternal gospel to all the people that dwell on the earth, to every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people. And, and then... He made, uh, he made the proclamation in the seventh verse, as we're going to see in a moment. He said three things, which I didn't get to last week because I just wanted to make it a more of a Christmas theme. But he said three things. I want you to fear God. I want you to glorify God. And I want you to worship Him. And, th and that's what this message is going to be about. But in the 14th chapter, where we are right now, is a chapter that um, I think many preachers would like to just leave alone because it speaks of the horrendous, horrendous future for those who refuse to place their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. And it speaks very vividly of this place of fire and brimstone that we commonly know as hell. And there's no preacher on the face of the earth that I think relishes in, in preaching in this particular place. And yet, uh, you, for, for better or for worse... I, I am not a, I'm not a man that's going to preach to you um, what I think is, 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 um, is the topic of the day. I'm going to preach to you as each verse comes my way. And, and I will not try to duck and hide. And so I want you to know that going in, that this particular place in Scripture is a, is a message that I would love to shout from all the rooftops. And yet and still it's a very difficult message to present. So, with that in mind, would you please read with me out of the 14th chapter? By the way, the computer is down, and so the, the, the verses won't be up on the wall. And I will say to, it, to, to you over and over again what the verses are in case you want to write them down and look at them later or catch up with me right now where I'm at, though, in him. But right now, I want to read to you out of chapter 14, starting with verse 6. To verse 13, John writes, I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth, to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. And then it says in verse 8, another angel, a second one, following him, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her, of her immorality. And then another angel, a third one, following them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image, and receives a mark on his forehead or upon his hand, 
he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they will have no rest day and night, those who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Verse 12, here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and keep their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with them. Dear Father, please. I beg of you every week that you would move me aside. I beg of you this week, perhaps more than ever before. Allow me not to get into the way of what you would want to say to each and every single soul that is here. And anyone and everyone that might hear this, no matter how they they might hear it, whether it be uh, over the internet, whether they might hear it by tape, I don't know, Father. Just I pray that you will bless every one of us who hears this message, that we might not only be hearers, but we would be doers of your word. And so, Father, please, as it says in the book of Psalms, would you open up our eyes? And I might add, Father, our hearts and our souls and everything about us so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. Bless, Father, please. I pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Six angels in this 14th chapter come upon the scene each of them giving a specific message. The first one we saw in verse 6 was this another angel, it says. Of all things, if you can imagine, if you can even imagine flying in mid-heaven and he's preaching an eternal gospel and he's preaching it around the world, it's, it's being preached to, to every, every person on the face of this earth as it says in, in verse 6, to every nation and, and tribe and tongue and people. And then he said with this loud voice, this voice that would, by, this, by the very statement that it is loud, says it is of authority. He says, I want you to fear God. I want you to give God glory. I want you to worship Him. Him who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. But he's not the only angel, this one in the sixth verse. There are, there are five others found in verses 8 and 9, and then we didn't read verses 15, 17, and 18. Each of them being a messenger sent by God. Now what you and I must remember, because we've been in this period of respite, this, this period of pause between the, the last judgment of God and the judgments that are going to come, the, the bold judgments, that the final seven judgments. We've been in this period of respite, and, and you need to remember that the world now has suffered the incredible devastation from the seal and the trumpet judgments. And, and, and even, even the stable heavens themselves have been rocked. As John noted in chapter 6, verses 12, 13, and 14. No, excuse me, not John. John spoke it in Revelation 6, verses 12, 13, and 14. John says, when I saw the sixth seal being broken, he said, he said there was a great earthquake 
And then he said, the sun became black as sackcloth, and the moon became like blood, John wrote. He also said in verse 13 that the stars of the skies fell to the earth like a fig tree would cast its unripened fruit. And then he says in verse 14, the sky itself was split apart like a scroll, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. In other words, there was terror on the earth. Everything has been uprooted. Everything, or I I guess I should say nothing is like it has been. Everything has been upset. And during this time, God continues to bless the people. How? He gives the people the message of good news, the message of the gospel. And as we learn from the, in verse 6, this first angel that flew in mid-heaven, it is an eternal gospel. It doesn't change. And what God did was he sent 144,000 Jewish evangelists across the world to, to present the good news to every single soul that would listen to them. Along with the 144,000 evangelists, he then gave two witnesses that presented the gospel to everyone that would hear. And ultimately, of course, this angel flying in mid-heaven. And what was the response of the people? What did the people do? Well, did they fall on their knees? Did they they come to believe and trust in Christ? No, on the contrary. In, In the ninth chapter of the book of Revelation, the 20th and the 21st verses, We heard that the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, they did not repent of their hands. It didn't repent, they said, of of their murderers, of their sorceries, which means demon worship and witchcraft. They didn't repent of their immorality. They didn't repent of their thievery. And so even with this angel, if you can even imagine, I mean really, really, don't you think if an angel in heaven started proclaiming the gospel, we might give it some attention. Someone might say, ooh, what does that mean? You know, if, if, if God would write in the sky, I would believe, well, and what happens? We're going to find in chapter 16, even because they were scorched, people on the earth at this time were scorched with heat, Fierce heat, it says. They still blasphemed the name of God. I can't imagine. It says they did not repent so as to give God glory. They blasphemed His holy and righteous name. And when I read through that, I I wrote down for, for... for us because it it struck me deeply. I thought to myself, what is it going to take for them in the great tribulation to hear the good news? What is it going to take? And like a wave, it rushed over me. Are you kidding, John? What is it going to take for people today to hear the message? Today, we live in the day of grace. We live in the time where God is pouring out his favor upon his people. And do we listen? And so I wrote a note to myself to present to you. I I wrote, just for a moment, let's forget about those unbelievers during the time of tribulation. Let's forget about the fact that they blaspheme God. Let's, Let's forget about the fact that they would not repent. I wrote down, this is what makes me ponder. What is it going to take for 
Christians today to finally get serious with Jesus Christ and His church? What is it going to take for us today to finally see that, that all of this that we preach about every week is truth and we need to serve our Lord, our God? And so I say to you, this is a... I don't, I don't go in... I've never been the kind of person that makes New Year resolutions. Is that what they call them? Resolutions? I've never been that kind of guy. I've never said, well, this is what I'm going to do. I... I, I, I I kind of tried it once. I'm going to work out and get in shape. Well, that didn't, obviously, that didn't work. But I've not been that type. But, but I sat there at my desk and I, I prayed for you and I prayed for me and I prayed, God, would this year be a year where we would be very serious about our faith? that we would hold on to the things that we have and, and that we would recognize that we're not playing church here. This isn't dress rehearsal and, and we'll, 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 we'll have to, another chance to do it right at another time. No, let us consider what you say. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to reckon with our Lord. Today. And let us make this year a year that we give unto you, Father. I prayed it for myself at least. I thought I would pass it along to you. And so it says in verse 7 of chapter 14 of the book of Revelation, this angel with a loud voice, that means with authority, mentions three things that I've already said to you. Fear God. Give Him glory. Worship Him. What does that mean? I thought I would talk to you about a misconception about our faith for a moment. I think there is a misconception about Christianity that goes uh, around this earth because I think we've heard from so many preachers that, that, that the gospel is, 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 is a good news. You come to Jesus Christ and everything's going to be fine and dandy. That's not truth. That's not truth at all. The eternal gospel that is preached by this, this angel and the 144,000 and anyone that understands the Bible at all is not a, a gospel that is preached that is supposed to make you and me feel good about ourselves. That's never been the intent of the Bible. No, the, the Bible was supposed to be taught. Eternal gospel was to be spread to bring you and me face to face with God. To see Him in all of His glory and to see us for who we truly are. Sinners who need to be saved by the grace of God. That's the purpose of the true eternal gospel. To allow us to deal with our sin. Have you ever wondered, why is it that you exist? Why is it that you draw breath today? What's your purpose in this life? Well, if you're not certain, may I tell you, you live, I live, we live to glorify God in and through our lives every day that we draw breath. You were not born. I was not born. We were not born for God to bless us. He already has. You might say, how? I'll tell you how. From the cross. 
When he rose from the dead, he blessed you beyond your wildest dream once you've come to trust and believe in him. He has given to you everlasting eternal life. You cannot get any greater blessing. Any other blessings that you might give, that's just cream on the top or icing, icing on the cake. You know, you and I exist for one purpose and one purpose only. Not so that God might bless us, but so that we might honor Him. For anyone to preach a gospel contrary to that and direct any benefit towards you or me is not the true eternal gospel that must be preached. Any message that falls short of bringing you and me face to face with God so as to fear God, so as to glorify God, so as to worship Him and repent from our sin is insufficiently preached. It's not the gospel. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 13. Might want to look it up later on. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 13. It says... The conclusion is this. Ooh, what's the conclusion? It says, when everything has been heard, your conclusion is to fear God, keep His commandments. This applies, it says, to every single person on the face of this earth. Fear God and keep His commandments. And so the eternal gospel that was preached in midheaven by this angel says three things. Fear him, glorify him, worship him. Concerning fear, let's talk about each one of them just so that you can grasp a hold of it. What does it mean to fear, to reverence, to love God? Fear God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. It says in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, Fear is the the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. But Jesus Christ, as he well would, says it perfectly in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, no, excuse me, Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. Listen to what Jesus Christ says clearly about Fear, who you and I are to fear. He says, I say to you, my friends, Jesus is speaking, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do to you. But this he says in the fifth verse, I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who after he has killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, Jesus says, fear him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Next it says, after we are to fear him, we are to glorify him. Now what does that mean? Well, there's a great example in Scripture. One of my favorite of all, the nation Israel was at war. And they were going into villages and they were, they were killing everyone. They were really powerful. Joshua was their leader. 
And God told them specifically to go in this community and not take a thing. Do not pillage, not steal anything from this village. And there was one person in the camp who did so. Do you remember his name? His name was Achan. Joshua all of a sudden went to war against another nation that they would normally beat so easily, and they lost, and he couldn't figure out what's going on. He went to God, and he prayed and prayed, and it came upon him that there was one one person in the camp who was in sin, Achan. I want you to listen. Listen to what Joshua says to this one soul, Achan. I'm going to read it to you. It's out of Joshua chapter 7, verses 19 and 20. It says in verse 19, Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, I implore you. Watch now. Give glory, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to Him, and tell me now, what have you done? Do not hide it from me. In other words, hide what? Hide the fact that He had sinned. To Achan's credit, Achan answered, it says in verse 20, to Joshua and said, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord the God of Israel. And this is what I have done. If ever you want to know what true confession is about, that's it. Don't hide anything of yourself that is sinful to God. He, he already knows. No, give Him glory by confessing to Him exactly what it is that you have done wrong. Fear Him Fear the one who not only can kill, but also has your eternal destiny in his hand. And glorify him by confessing to him any and all sin that might be in your life. You see, the true meaning of glory and glorifying God is to praise him, is to confess and repent and turn away from sin and turn back to God. So we're to fear Him, and we're to glorify Him, and then we are to worship Him. Now, worship is quite easy to comprehend because once you fear and understand who God is, the one who has your destiny in His hand, and once you have glorified Him by confessing all of your sin, then you are free to worship Him. And one of the great places in all of Scripture is still here in the book of Revelation, the fourth chapter the 10th and the 11th verse. It says the 24 elders, and as we've understand, understood what is being taught out of the book of Revelation, the elders in heaven are now what, what we now today call the Christians, the church. It says the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne, and they worship Him. Him who sits, or excuse me, him who lives forever and ever. And they will cast their crowns before his throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, because you have created all things. Because of your will, we exist and we were created. The psalmist wrote in Psalms 150, verse 6, Let everything that has breath 
praise or worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. And so you and I are to live to fear God. That's to reverence Him, to honor Him, to love Him. Because He is the one we ought to fear. Because He says, don't fear those who can merely kill you. Rather fear the one who, after you are dead, has your destiny in His hands. And then once you fear that one, then you glorify Him, honor Him by confessing your sins and turning from them. And after you fear and honor Him, then you worship Him and praise Him. That's the reason you and I are alive. That's the reason we are going to draw breath this coming year. Back in chapter 14 and verse 8, then the second or another angel proclaims, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Babylon is purely and simply a picture of the worship of false religions, other gods, idols, if you would. Babylon was a, a rebellion against the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It all began at what you and I commonly know as the Tower of Babel. That was when mankind constructed a tower to reach into the heavens. They, they gathered together as a, as a one people and they said, let us, let us build a, 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 a tower to heaven. And that tower that they were building wasn't to, to glorify God. No, that tower was built so as to glorify themselves. And what did God do? He confused their languages and they scattered themselves across the earth. And so the angel says in verse 8, Babylon has fallen. Finally, God declares through this angel that the false religious system is now over with. It has fallen. And next comes uh, three of the most difficult verses in all of Scripture to, to comprehend. It's not difficult, as someone said to me after the first service and kind of uh, wiped away my tears because I was emotional. And he said to me, John, this is not something you ought not to teach. It's good for those of us who trust in Christ. And for those who do not, they need to hear this. In verses 9, 10, and 11, this another angel, the third one, followed the other two saying with a loud voice, again, a voice of authority. If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or upon his hand, a person will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. That person will be tormented with fire and brimstone, in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever, and they will have no rest, day or night, those who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark on his name. Now, obviously, this is a, a message written for those who are going through the tribulation period, but it could be preached to us today, commonly saying to those who have not trusted in Christ, please, 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 we beg of you, don't put this off. Remember the Satan told the people, you worship me or you're going to die. He's told them that. 
If you don't take the mark of the beast, you cannot purchase anything. You will die. God counters with saying, if you do worship the beast, you'll receive eternal damnation, eternal death. Remember, when it said to fear God, fear the one who not only can kill, but has your destiny in, your hand, in his hand. Fear the one who holds your eternity. As always, God gives choices to mankind. In verse 10, John writes, God's wrath and anger are upon those who reject him, and it shall come to them in full strength, in full wrath, meaning his judgment will be without his mercy and without his grace. Grace, which we so commonly understand today, God's unmerited favor has been poured out upon us, the church. But not here. People, this is a terrible picture. This is a terrible picture of God's coming judgment. By the way, as I've already said to you, this is not a message I long to preach. But it is one that must be preached. Because verse 11 gives a vivid and terrible picture of God's wrath against those who choose not to follow him. And people, hell, hell itself is not just for a time. And then God will reconsider and allow that person, okay, you're okay now, you've, you've singed enough, come on, come on in. I used to think like that. I, I, it was very obvious for me to think that there was a couple of options I had. That if there is a hell, he isn't that, he's not that mean. He's not going to be burned there forever. But then I chose, that's tough, difficult enough. I just decided that there was no heaven. And the reason I decided there was no heaven, because then I could logically say, and also there is no hell. Because I had one quality, one quality in my life at that time. And that quality was that I knew that I was a sinner. That was my, can you believe it? That's my best quality in those days. I knew I was a sinner. And I knew if I were to die, I would go to hell. And it scared me to death. It scared me. I know for certain there are some preachers and some churches and some denominations that decided, just decided not to preach on hell. They decided not to preach on the concept of eternal damnation because it doesn't draw crowds. I'll give you that. That's the truth. But the fact of the matter is, people, God is not concerned about crowds. He never has been. He never will be. What he's concerned about for me, I take stock of what I do as a, as a man that wants to follow the Lord and as a man that has been called to preach the gospel. I, I take stock of me. And my stock is that I have no option. The only option I have is to teach line upon line, word upon word, and not to skip anything. And when I get to difficult passages, I can't say, oh, well, I'll skip that. We'll get to it later. No, we've got to go through it. Because God has called me as a preacher of the gospel to do one thing, and that is to preach the truth and the whole truth as much as I know it. And then his business is to draw whomever he desires to draw into the congregation. That's his job. Mine, mine is easy. It's to preach the gospel. 
to preach through the Bible. And so verse 11 makes it vividly clear, sadly. The smoke and the torment goes up forever and ever, it says, and there will be no rest day or night. Will God punish those who reject Him forever and ever, day and night? Well, His Word says He will. Let me give you a, a logical conclusion to this. You and I, we believe, we believe in Jesus Christ. If that, that, you don't have to say it out loud, but we believe in Jesus Christ, do we not? Yes. Okay, do we believe that there is a heaven, therefore? Yes, of course we do. Do we believe that we'll be there for how long? Forever and ever. We do believe that. We have the right to believe that because Scripture says it. On the other hand, for unbelievers, the Bible says, yes, there is a, a place of fire and brimstone. Yes, and it will go on forever and ever. Just as our eternal bliss will be forever, so will this torment be forever. And So this ought to be shouted from the rooftops. People ought to hear, at least they ought to know the truth so that they might be able to deal with the truth instead of just blaspheming God come to trust and believe in Him. And so book of Revelation, the 14th chapter, the 9th, the 10th, and the 11th verse leaves us no other option, no other alternative option to preach. It is terrible news to those that have not and will not trust in Christ. But, as always, God will do. He gives the other side of that coin in verses 12 and 13. Watch what he says in verse 12. Here is the perseverance of the saints. Saints are those who have trusted in Christ. Those, he says, who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. By the way, you'll note, it is faith not in a religion nor in a denomination, but a faith in Jesus and Him alone. You are in good ground here. We don't tell you to worship the church, a denomination. We beg of you, come to trust and believe in Jesus Christ and worship Him and Him alone. That is your salvation. And then John says in verse 13, He was to proclaim as a voice came down from heaven, saying, Write, write these things, John. Write, Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they'll rest from their labors and their deeds will follow after them. You see, the death of an unbeliever is tragic. It will be torment forever. But the death of a believer... It's a blessing and rest forever. Two things follow the death of those who have trusted in Christ. Rest from their labor, which can be rest not only from work, but also from pain, from tear, from sorrow, from trials, from any and all difficulties that might have come our way. And the deeds that follow, those are the things that you and I have done in the name of Jesus Christ they will also follow you to heaven. I have two verses that I, I wanted to share with you. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, and Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. I'll tell you again in a moment. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. It says simply this, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. 
knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance. It is the Lord Jesus Christ whom you and I serve. In the year 2012, you and I ought to make it our deepest desire to whatever we do, to do it heartily as unto the Lord this year, knowing it's the Lord Jesus Christ whom we serve. And then Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10 says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love which you have shown towards His name as you minister and are still ministering to the saints. People, the choice is elementary. As we go into this particular year, the year 2012, our choices are elementary in my opinion. It it goes back to that dear, dear saint Joshua, that warrior who confronted Achan and said, my son, he says, I implore you, tell me what you've done. Give glory, give glory to the God of heaven. Confess your sin. But Joshua later said to the people, he says, he says determine, determine for yourselves today, who will you serve? Who is it that you desire to serve? Determine in your own heart. And then he said these words that I believe ought to be the battle cry of the Rock Community Church. He said, but for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. That's my my prayer for you for the year 2012. As you go into this, this new year, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, knowing it's the Lord Jesus Christ whom you serve anyways. And God will not be so unjust that He'll forget those things that you have done in His name For you and for your house, I pray that you will serve the Lord. I pray that's what this church will do as long as it opens its doors. Father in heaven above, may we honor you with how we live. May we fear you. By that I mean, Father, understand who you are by worshiping you and and praising you and loving you and and giving you reverence because it is you who holds our destiny in your hands. And also, Father, we ought to give you glory. By that, we ought to confess those things that we have done wrong, whatever they may be, and repent of our sin, giving you glory. And then, Father, worship you. Just, Just... just kind of falling down, if you would, not necessarily just literally falling down, but falling down on our faces before you, Father, and praising your holy and righteous name. Oh, God, may we honor you this year. And for those that don't know you, Father, may the message that they have heard shake them to their most inner core. Please, I beg of you, Father, not allow a soul to walk away from here without, without dealing with the issue of whether they know you truthfully or not, whether they have trusted in you or not. Please, Father, let not a soul leave here without being at peace with you, I pray. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. Happy New Year, and I love you with all my heart. God bless you. Thanks for being here.